Um, if you've got your Bibles this morning, let's turn uh, to the book of First John. Let's stand as we open God's Word together. First John, chapter one. As you've heard, we're starting a series entitled "Are You for Real?" And I appreciate Jeff as always helping us with the artwork. And you see that little. Uh, license plate on the front of your bulletins, something to kind of help you remember this question because I want over the next couple of months this question to be ingrained in your mind. And maybe we can actually have actual license plates made that you can put on the front of your car or something. Um, probably but wouldn't be legal to put them on the back, but are you for real? Are you for real? That's what we're going to be looking at. So if you found your place now, 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to read the first four verses, but then we'll kind of look at the whole chapter to, to get the context and to launch this, this series this morning. John's writing and he says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we have we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things and He'll tell us again and again and again in this study why He's writing. And here's one of the reasons. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete or full. Father, I pray that we would discover the fullness of joy through knowing just how real you are and how real you can be in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. And why is this subject important? A lot of times it's hard to read what's going on in somebody's life, but I know that there's some things that we need to grasp in this study. We're going to show a video to kind of introduce this message this morning. It's just a very short video, a little over one minute. And uh, there's a gentleman in this video that I think typifies most who are attending church somewhere in America today, and perhaps many of you. Be careful as you're watching the video to read the words as you listen to what this gentleman is saying and see how they might not match one another. And ask yourself, is that me? Am I for real? How real is Christ to you? We sang powerfully a moment. Christ is enough for me. Is it just words? Or is it real? You know, the philosophical study for what is real is called epistemology. And whether you're talking about scientific method or you're talking about your own personal experience, when you, you try to get down to, to discovering what is really real in this life, you're also faced with another question. Those of you who love to study philosophy would remember this, or maybe from your college philosophy class, axiology, what is valuable? What is real and what is valuable? And there are some things that we discover, things that are certain and what you will not discover in most secular universities in a philosophy class is that theology often holds the answers and certainly the word of God always holds the answers to what we're looking for but people don't want to turn to that which has been revealed to revelation divine revelation 
John's writing believers, and these believers have been influenced by some bad teachers. He's writing believers who are struggling with the question, what is real and what is valuable, what, what really has made a difference, what, what matters. John uses a couple of Greek words that we'll see repeated again and again that have to do with knowledge, the verbs for to know. How, how do we know something? How do we know that something is real? So he'll use the word knowledge or some form of the word knowing repetitiously. And he's saying, what, what can we believe? What can we truly experience? He's also combating the influence those teachers I was speaking of, uh, an influence that was an early form of what became known as Gnosticism, from the Greek word gnosis, to, to, to have a knowledge of something. There were basically two forms of this. In, in, in its infancy, Gnosticism really went back to a belief, and it was influenced by people, names that you might know, like Aristotle and Plato, but, but a belief that the material world, that which is physical, that which you can see, and touch and experience with the senses, the, the material world is basically all evil. But yet the spiritual world, that which is soulish and that which you can't see, is good. And so there was a, a, a dichotomy between the, the material and the spiritual realms. And that led to, to these two forms. One that became known as docetism, the belief that Jesus only appeared physical. That he was really just uh, some kind of ghostly figure. Somehow he appeared to them even though in materially he wasn't actually there. So this, this false teaching that Jesus wasn't human came about because they believed that if Jesus had been material, Jesus would have been evil. Therefore, he could not have been material. And so he had to be uh, just in a spiritual realm and making himself physically, visibly somehow in that spiritual realm, but not, as John said in his gospel, the Word made flesh, literally, physically, visible before us as a man. By default, we become docetic in our tendencies. You would say, man, I, I believe Jesus was, was fully God and fully man, but we we practice this by default when in our lives, Jesus Christ isn't real to us, but merely maybe a figment of our imagination or a fantasy. And we'll talk about that a little bit more this morning as we break down this text. The, the other form of Gnosticism was called the Serenthian Gnostics, and they believed that Jesus had divinity come upon him, that in his flesh, the material aspects of his flesh as a man would have been evil, but at the moment he was baptized, divinity came upon him for purposes, and at the moment of his crucifixion, that divinity left him, and that's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so it was just as severe a distortion, but it said, no, wait a minute, Jesus was physical, he was material, therefore he wasn't God, there's no way that he could have been a sinless God, but divinity came upon him for some purposes. So you have a couple of extremes there that get away from what John had taught in his gospel that Jesus was the God-man, fully God, and fully man, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. 
And you say, well, what difference did that make in how they lived? It made all the difference in the world. These Christians that John's writing to begin to lack assurance of just how real Jesus is and was when he walked the face of this earth. And I believe there are people that struggle under the sound of my voice today with just how real Jesus is. It's hard for us to be real with him when we aren't sure just how real he is. It also caused them to place religion over a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's good to have a a kind of a mystical view and practice certain things that make us feel good about life and maybe even where we're headed for eternity. It's not a real relationship if you don't believe that he was a real person. And ultimately, that led to a false dichotomy that I think the church still struggles with today, even though we would not claim to embrace Gnostic beliefs, and that false dichotomy was where we begin to separate beliefs on the one hand from practices on the other. We say, oh, here is what I believe, but here is how I live, and when there is a false dichotomy between belief and practice, we are going back to the place of the Gnostics where we're saying we really just don't know how real Jesus is, and certainly We're displaying that he's not real in our lives, causing more insecurity, which was a big problem also in this church because he says in chapter 5 and verse 13, hey, I've written all of these things that you, to those of you who have believed, that you may know that you have eternal life. He was trying to help them have some assurance of their faith. We aren't for real. If we aren't for real, if we haven't come to a place in our lives where we say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is real. He's real to me. He's real in my life. And I've gotten real with him, and I'm real with others about who Jesus is in my life and who he's not in my life sometimes. If we can't be real and God's not real to us, what hope does the rest of the world have? Not a lot. Not a lot because they're doubting just how real Jesus is, and they're projecting that upon me and you and saying, we don't even know how real the church is. So it's time for us to ask the question, are you for real? Are you for real? Is Jesus real in your life? There are going to be tests that we'll look at when we get next week, starting with chapter 2 and over the next couple of months, uh, breaking down chapters 2, 3, and 4, and then in March getting into chapter 5. We're going to see there are some tests basically in three areas, loyalties, lifestyle, and love. If you want to know if something is real, if I were to take a diamond to a jeweler, if I were to take gold or silver somewhere to sell it, then someone would have certain tests that they would perform to tell me whether or not it's real. And 1 John is full of these wonderful tests just to see how real, how authentic our faith is. But first, before we get into all of those tests in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, we need to answer This question, what is it that we long for? Are we longing for something real? And have we discovered as we long for something real that Jesus is everything that the human heart longs for? People today will talk about felt needs preaching. Felt needs preaching is supposed to be preaching 
that, that starts with where people feel certain needs in their life, whether it's in their marriage or, or in their finances or whether it's in other relationships, whether it's material or physical or spiritual needs. But what the Word of God is, is showing us here is that we all may feel our needs in different ways, but our greatest need is to know that Jesus is real and for Him to be real in our lives. Our greatest need is Jesus. We say Christ is enough for me. He truly is if He's real. And if He's real in your life and He's real in my life. Now, I'm not saying believe it so much so that it becomes real. I'm saying the fact that it is real needs to become the faith that you've embraced. And so I want us to begin with looking at this subject of real faith. Number one, this morning if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so, Real faith, embracing the revelation of Jesus. Embracing the fact that He is real to start with. It's interesting that this letter begins a lot like John's Gospel in that he says, hey, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes. He starts with that which was from the beginning. In the beginning, John 1.1 says, was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But there's a little bit of a balance here in that John is now saying you need to know not only that he was divine, but that he was real, that he was human. We, we've heard him. We, we've seen him with our own eyes. We've observed him, he says, and we've touched him with our hands. He's saying, let me tell you something. He was real. We experienced him. We walked with him. We talked with him. We heard him teach us and we touched him concerning the word of life. That life, verse 2, was, it says, revealed. We have seen it. We've seen this revelation. He'll come back and use that word again, revealed. We have seen it. We testify. We're, we're declaring it. We're making it known to you, the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed, that was made known. Now, this word reveal, when we speak of embracing the revelation of Jesus Christ, here the word revealed is not the same word we see in the book of Revelation, the, in the very title, the Apocalypse, the fact that there was a veil that in, in our material world we could not see who Christ was and, and, and what He was about unless that veil be removed and, and it be revealed to us so that we could see it. This is more than that. This is a, a different word that has to do, as some of your translations say, with manifest, but it was made known so that you could know it by practice, that you could know it by experience, you could know it through a relationship, a way that you could fully know something. And so this was made known to us by the coming of Jesus Christ. And in Him, it says we, we've been given this, this life, the eternal life that was with the Father has been revealed to us. Going back to John's Gospel again, chapter 1, in verse 4, it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. Everything that we need to understand and know and have a relationship with God and live for what we were created for goes back to embracing the revelation of Jesus Christ. You say, but we don't have the same revelation John had. And John says in verse 3, we have seen and heard and also declare to you. John is saying, I'm doing what he told me to do before he left this planet and before he sent the Holy Spirit 
He told me to go into all nations and, and proclaim this to others so that others could know and have the relationship with Jesus Christ that I have with Jesus Christ. And he says, so what I've seen and, and, and what I've touched and what I've experienced and what I've heard, that's what I'm telling you. And so, yes, there's an element of faith, but the element of faith is not faith that is a blind faith. It's faith with evidence. Here's a man who says, I, I walked with him. I experienced it. We heard it. You read 1 Peter chapter 15 to hear uh, Paul argue for all of those who experience the living Christ walking among them, touching him, and beholding him. Of course, in John's gospel, he would point to so many of the miracles and wonderful things that Christ did. He says, now I'm doing what I'm, I'm told to do. I'm telling you about it. And you were introduced to Jesus Christ because somebody, be it a preacher, a parent, a teacher, a friend, somebody declared it to you. Somebody else that had a relationship with Jesus Christ told you that you could be introduced to this same Jesus and that he was real. We begin to question. We make it kind of a, a religious thing rather than a, a personal relationship with someone who is very very real. We want it to be real, but it's sometimes hard for us to build our lives on the fact that Jesus is real. Remember that scene a lot of times at, at Christmas and at New Year's, uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life. It comes on again and again and again, and it's one of my favorite all-time movies. People say, what's your favorite Christmas movie? It's, it's a Wonderful Life. I love that movie, and it makes you consider life and uh, what the world would be like if, if you weren't in it and that sort of thing. Kind of a, a bad theology of angels, I guess, but it's still a, a movie that makes you think. But, but I remember there's one scene that came to mind as I was studying this passage, and it's the scene where after George Bailey comes back to reality, <laughs> to, to where things are real again, after he had observed life in the world with, uh, without him, after he had seen his wife and she didn't recognize him, he, he comes back to this real world and he sees her again. And he's overwhelmed and he, he, he's, he's crying out to her in his, that, that Jimmy Stewart voice that I won't even try to do. And he goes, are you real? Let me touch you. As he grabs her face, he says, are you real? He's just overwhelmed by this one that he had loved and had a relationship with. He wanted to know that she was real, that she wasn't going to disappear, that it wasn't going to be something that never really happened. And in our relationship with Jesus Christ, before we talk about being real with God and being real with one another, we need to ask the question, have we come to a place in our life where we've gotten our arms around Jesus and we can say, I know that Jesus is real and he is so real to me. Have you ever been driving down the road before? by yourself, and the presence of Jesus be so real that you just knew you could reach out and take him by the hand? Do you miss those moments when he was that real to you? Have we become so distracted by our cell phones and everything else in the world that today we don't take time to be still and experience the realness of Christ through his Holy Spirit who is with us? Or have we reduced it to mere fantasy? See, when Let's be honest, all of us, when something seems too real or too good to be true, we often push it off into a fantasy world. If it seems impossibly true, a, a, a dream, a, a movie, the things 
of faith, we reduce it to mere fantasy. And that's religion, that's not a relationship. Religion is kind of saying this fantasy world over here and Jesus is in it. The Jesus that I saw on felt boards when I was a kid. The Jesus that I read about in Sunday school quarterlies. But Jesus isn't somebody who is real to us. We've got a dose of religion, but not a real relationship. Jesus, young people, listen to me. Jesus is not a fantasy. And adults, let's stop reducing him to mere religion. Let's stop reducing him to mere religion by just assuming that he is somebody that uh, is a figment of our imagination. You know, that's what the world is saying. I had a discussion with an atheist, and he said, you are the people that just have all these crazy voices in your head, and you say that you're praying, and you're just talking to yourself. Because they haven't experienced how real Jesus is, either in their own life or how they've observed most Christians around them living. He is real, and he is life. John had witnessed those miracles. He had seen him. He had touched him. He had beheld him. He was in that inner circle. He was an intimate friend of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he's saying to the church, I want you to know that he is real and get away from this false dichotomy that he just lives in some kind of spiritual realm, but he doesn't really live in me. John is saying, I'm telling you, he is real. Remember John, he he, he is, I love this about John. He records the fact in his gospel after the resurrection, he records that he and Peter raced to the tomb and he also lets you know that he beat Peter to the tomb. He was there. He saw that the tomb was empty. Peter ran in the tomb with a little more courage as he was always the first to display, but, but John was there. John was there at Pentecost. When the promise of the Holy Spirit after the ascension of Christ came upon the church, he knew just how real Jesus was because the Jesus that was with him was now living in him, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is real. Are you for real? Is he real to you? Are you just practicing religion today? It's a dangerous place to be. The world doesn't need more religion. The world needs to see Men, women, boys, and girls that know that Jesus is real. Secondly, I want to talk not only about your real faith, but real fellowship. See, John transitions here. And real fellowship is found in enjoying a relationship with Jesus. See, it all comes back to Jesus. Everything in this passage comes back to Jesus. And if you look back at verse 3, he says, so that you may have fellowship along with us, and indeed our fellowship with the Father is with the Father, And with his son, Jesus Christ, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. There is some kind of joy that comes through this fellowship, this relationship with Jesus Christ and with his body, the church. And so he says, I want you to experience that. I want you to know that Jesus is real so that you can get in on the real fellowship, enjoying a relationship with Jesus Christ and all the blessings and the benefits that come from that. It's coming to a place in your life where you know that, hey, God has accepted me by grace, and I accept that He accepts me. That's my faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Grace, He accepts me. Faith, I accept that He accepts me through what He did on Calvary's cross and through an empty grave. 
And then I can accept you. And you can accept me. Because Christ has cleansed us and accepts us. We're accepted in the beloved and among the beloved. So we have love one for another. And we begin to enjoy this, this thing called fellowship. And you've heard, many of you have heard the Greek word koinonia. It's more than just friends. And it's greater bond than family. It's, it's a fellowship. It's a, a relationship at a soul level that you can only enjoy with other believers. It's the key to real joy, having that relationship with Christ, being in fellowship with Christ, experiencing what we were made for. That's what your salvation was all about. It wasn't just to secure you a home in heaven. It was to restore you to fellowship, soul to soul, spirit to spirit, communion. As Romans 8 says, uh, that our spirit or His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God because now our, our spirits are in fellowship with God again. Remember Adam before Genesis chapter 3 or before the fall in Genesis chapter 3? Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. That's fellowship. He had a relationship with God. And when the world got just kind of so messed up after sin, God chose a man, Noah, who in Genesis chapter 6 says was a righteous man, and he did what? He walked with God. Fellowship often in Scripture is referred to as walking with God, doing life with God. And that's where our greatest joy and our greatest fulfillment comes from because that's what we were created for. That's what God made us for. And so we're enjoying life at its best when we're living out what God made us to experience, real joy. Man's primary purpose in life is to Glorify God and enjoy Him forever, both now and throughout eternity. So we can have fellowship with God and we can have fellowship with each other. That means, listen, that means we can be real with God. It means we can be real with each other. And I think we're often lacking that, and I pray that as we study 1 John, we'll learn to be real with God and where we are in our relationship with God, in our communion with God, open our soul and our heart to one another and learn to be real with one another. There's one thing I love about the, the various small groups in our church, and all of us need to be a part of a small group within this church, be, be in a life group, be in a men's study, a ladies' study, in our Bible studies on Wednesday nights. Uh, man, there's a group of us that will begin meeting again this Friday morning at 6 a.m., but, but when you get together with a small group so that we can interact, it's hard in a congregation this size this morning. If there were 40 of us, it would be hard in a congregation that size for us just to, just to be real with one another. One of the blessings of fellowship and body life, one of the reasons that we are here so that we can learn to be real, and I want to encourage you to be a part of a group of people within the body that you can just be real with. That's real fellowship, enjoying a relationship with Jesus Christ that impacts our relationships with others. Relationships shape and change our lives more than any other thing. And your relationship with Jesus Christ should be the most real relationship. It's easy for us to look at the other relationships and say, yes, I, I can see that relationship changed who I am. If you're married here this morning, you know that your relationship with your spouse has changed your life. Amen? My relationship with my wife, Tina, has changed my life, and I would say much for the better. But it has changed my life. Why? Because I, I live my life I, I, based always on well, how does this affect 
Tina, how, does, uh, how do these plants involve her? It's not I, it's we. And so that relationship has changed my life. And then when you become a parent, right? Children will change your life, amen? Well, you were a little bit more convinced of that than even marriage. Listen, I, I spoke to a man in the ministry that I uh, ha- had the opportunity to, to get close to many, many years ago. And, and, and he had a few, as we all, he had a few blind spots in his life. And uh, sometimes he wasn't so quick to recognize those blind spots as we tried to hold one another accountable. And uh, then we went a few years without conversation. And over the Christmas break, we began to uh, kind of renew that friendship. Thanks to social media, he found me. And we were able to talk on the phone. And, and uh, he, he, he made this statement about some of those blind spots from years ago. He said, Robbie, he said, being a dad has changed me. See, relationships change your life. And so if my wife and my children and your spouse and your children, if those relationships, you think of the best friends God's placed in your life, that's why Paul said bad company corrupts good character. Relationships will change you. And you make decisions based on those relationships. How much more, if Jesus is real to you, should you be saying, okay, what is my purpose? How is Jesus going to be affected by this? How is he involved in this? That fellowship with Jesus changes everything. And we begin to enjoy a relationship with Jesus Christ that becomes a picture of what our life, our direction, our purpose, our behavior. Now, I will often think, how will this behavior affect my wife, when, when, when uh, we're at a football game on a Friday night, she'll say, how will my behavior affect my husband? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> how, how does our behavior affect one another? How much more as Christians, if we are truly in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if it's real, and for some of you this morning, the Spirit of God may be showing you that it's not real, but if it's real, how much more does that relationship with Jesus Christ cause you to stop and say, what about this behavior? What about my walking with Jesus? Think about the past four weeks of your life. Just think about maybe through the holiday season. What was it like to have Jesus present? Or were there some things you were involved in? Were there some places, were there some moments where you say, Jesus was out of sight and out of mind? And if he wasn't real in those moments, so much so that it began to change and shape your own behavior, you have to ask the question, not so much is Jesus for real, but am I for real? Are you for real? Are you for real? Or are you living your life? Are you walking day in and day out with an awareness and an enjoyment of the presence of Jesus Christ who sent His Holy Spirit? Romans 8, 9 says, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. Ephesians 5, 18 says, be continually being filled with the Spirit of Christ. If there's not an awareness of the Spirit of Jesus Christ working in your life, is He really real to you? Are you walking with an awareness and an enjoyment of the presence of Christ in your life? 
Or do you quench or grieve the Holy Spirit with your behaviors? Or does it even cross your mind, the reality of Christ? Is that just, that's a Sunday morning go to church thing. That's a, that's a Wednesday night youth Bible study. Is he real to you 24-7? You say, well, as I begin to do that, I feel a little conviction. That's probably a good sign. As I, as I do that, I begin to struggle. Listen, that's part of the struggle that John's going to deal with in this study. That real fellowship means that we will often need, and by the way, this was needed to begin the fellowship process, so it shouldn't surprise us, but we'll need real forgiveness. And if we're going to be for real, we've got to experience real forgiveness and experience the righteousness of Christ that comes through faith and the forgiveness that we receive in Him because of those decisions of walking in the flesh rather than walking in the Spirit. Go back to verse 6 with me. This goes back to the fellowship aspect. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. By the way, your relationship with Jesus Christ directly affects your relationship with other believers. A lot of times there's disharmony among the body of Christ because someone's not in right relationship with God. When somebody comes to me all bent out of shape about somebody else in the church, I usually try to not look at the issue until I look at both individuals spiritually first and see if they're walking with God. But He says, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we'll see as we kind of further break this epistle down, as we, we see what John is writing about, he's talking about us becoming in practice who we are in position when we put our faith in Christ. It's a process we call sanctification. He says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we, if we say, man, I know I'm walking in darkness, but it ain't my fault. We say we have no sin, we lie, and we deceive ourselves. But here's the promise, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that the fellowship is restored. Now, John, I believe, is writing to believers here who were struggling with that assurance, and he was saying, even if Jesus is real to you, you need to practice confession, James chapter 5, that we looked at last week, confessing our sins, not only to God, but confessing our sins to one another, for the healing, not only physical, but I believe spiritual healing that comes through that practice. So he's not teaching sinless perfectionism, that, well, I got saved baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, so I never sin. Now, what we have to acknowledge, Romans 8, 4, the righteous requirements are fully met in us when we walk according to the Spirit and according, not according to the flesh. What we have to acknowledge is that when we do sin, we made the choice at that moment to walk in the flesh, to walk in darkness instead of walk with Jesus and the reality and the enjoyment and the awareness of his presence. So he says, let's confess that sin. Confess means to agree with God. Call it what God calls it. And so, so many times we'll hinder our, our growth. We'll, some of you made New Year's resolutions to grow in your walk with God. Last week we talked about that fitness that we could experience, spiritually speaking, 
and then we'll allow things into our life, and, and the Holy Spirit of God will begin to convict us. The Word of God will point it out, and we'll, we'll know deep down inside that is sin. That is not something that is real and lasting, but yet we won't agree with God about it and call it what it is. Let's call it what God calls it. Say, God, I see that. Search me, oh God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way within me. Lord, let me call it what you call it so that you can do the surgery on me, spiritually speaking, and deal with it. I want to confess it as sin. Again, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Ever had, had anybody try to tell you that they've never sinned? That's strong indictment against that statement here. At the same time, we'll see in this letter, as we get into the lifestyle aspect, the evidence, that if we continually, habitually walk in sin, Violating what Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how can we that are dead to sin continue to live in it? We continue to walk in sin, then we're communicating that Jesus isn't real to us. That we haven't experienced real confession and forgiveness in the life change that comes as a result. You say, well, man, where, where's the balance of all that? Remember Dr. Adrian Rogers telling the story, and, I, and I'll close with this, and we'll get into this a little bit further in the weeks ahead, but Dr. Rogers told the story of the prodigal pig. How many of you know the account of the prodigal pig? And some of you know the story of the prodigal son, right? It's the prodigal son who went away, and as he went away from his father's house, sin took him further than he wanted to go, cost him more than he wanted to pay, kept him longer than he wanted to stay. He came back, came to, to a place where he's slopping the hogs, as we would say here in Madison County. He's slopping the hogs and he's so hungry and impoverished and broken, he, he's longing to just eat what the pigs are eating, right? And he says, I will arise and go to my father's house. And, and so he's going to be restored to fellowship with the father. And, and so the story between the lines, which is um, not a biblical account, so you know that. But the story that Dr. Rogers likes to tell is that, that a pig heard him praying, and the pig said, man, it sounds like his father's house is a great place. And I'm tired of being here in the mud, and I'm tired of being here in, the, in eating slop. I'm tired of this life, and so I'm going to go with him. And so the pig arose, and he left the farm, and he went back with the prodigal son. And he was given a nice, clean room, and he was given a nice place at the table. And he was given a robe to wear like the sun, and he had all these amenities but the pig said, you know what? This kind of stinks. They won't let me play in the mud. They won't let me just kind of bury my face. Well, there's that one teenage boy who likes to just put his face in the plate, but they won't let me do that. I'm a pig. They won't let me just bury my, my, my face in the plate and get all nasty. They, they worry about what I'm tracking in and out of the house. I'm miserable. I will arise and go to my father's pig pen and ask him to forgive me and receive me back. See, Peter said, a pig returns to the mud. And see, some of us struggle with this whole thing about Jesus being real in our lives, our salvation being authentic, being genuine, experiencing real forgiveness. The question is, are we a prodigal who's walked away from God and we need to come back home? Or was it never real to start with and we're like the pig and when we get back into sin, and Dr. Rogers concludes it. He says, he says, listen, 
He said, um, a true believer, if it's real, he may lapse into sin, but he will loathe it. But if he's real, if, if he's a genuine believer, I'm sorry, if, if he's a genuine believer, he may lapse into sin, but he will loathe it. If it's not real, if his faith isn't real, then he will live in sin. He will continue in it and love it. But if your faith is real, you experience real forgiveness, real cleansing, then the Holy Spirit of God will not let you love sin anymore. You'll love the fellowship. You'll love a relationship with him. Jesus is real, church. Are you for real? I want us to begin asking that question, and I want us to begin asking it this morning. I want to ask every person to bow your head, close your eyes this morning.